Just the right timing. Yeah. 30 Tigers gospel brunch. Yeah, I found out some good friends of mine are putting this thing on. I was like, really, guys? Come on. You know? <laughs> yeah, but I, um, first of all, Mark, thanks. Um, Mark is a, was a real encouragement. When we, started, when we started Redeemer Fellowship and the Lord opened this place for us to meet at City Winery, just thrilling. I was just like, oh, man, this is so great that this is happening. And it's right next door to the mission. And I was like, this is, you know, there's a, there, it's just about, what, 60 feet? 60 yards, maybe. I don't, I don't run much anymore, so I don't really know. <laughs> but I'm thinking, like, that's awesome. But it's also, you don't want to throw too much in at once, right? You don't want to be, like, trying to do everything at once. And I remember, I don't know, it was third, fourth Sunday we were here, maybe. Uh, this guy is right over there, sitting about where Ruby is, and he... And he was like tracking with, every, like he was locked in on me. And I was like, uh, look at, you know, I tried to get eye contact and I was like, uh, okay, you know. And he, he makes a beeline up to me as soon as the service is over. He's like, hey, my name's Mark, just like the book we're studying. And I was like, hey, Mark, just like the book we're studying. And I go, tell me about you. He's like, well, I work in the kitchen here and I live at the mission. And I was just like, oh. All of a sudden, that early on, we had this bridge that had been starting to be built. And it was so beautiful. Mark has progressed in the job here amazingly. He's actually now, he's no longer on the streets or in the mission. He's actually got his own apartment. And he's also, though, at a place where he's like, you know, if the Lord wants me to lay my head there all the time, great. And if he has something else in mind for me now, that's great, too. And so it's really beautiful. And Mark, thankful for your life. Um, also, thankful for this event downtown, uh, downstairs. We knew that this was going to be going on, and it can be distracting. I understand that. But one thing you want to remember is that this is a gospel brunch. And so we want to be praying also that, that God's opening hearts all throughout this building, starting here, uh, with the staff, those in the kitchen, those who are attending, those who are performing. Right? It's one of the, actually one of the privileges we have of meeting in a public place like this. Is that there are these types of things uh, that go on. So anyway, just keep that in heart and mind as, as we're you know, meeting today. As we're here. And I'll try to speak loud enough so everybody can hear. If you have trouble hearing me, um, just give me the, fing, the, fing, the pointer finger up. <laughs> so I can remember actually like, oh yeah, talk louder. Yeah, don't, don't be very careful. With those. Uh, the tension just grew. Did you hear it? Not here, but when, when Taylor was reading that, there's this tension that's been building between the re- religious establishment and Jesus. The religious leaders are always coming to Jesus, and they've got this real problem. And it's building, it's building. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, it started in the first chapters. Early on, the people said, what is this? This guy is teaching, and he has an authority far beyond what the scribes and the Pharisees have. Well, you know, that's not, that's not a good way to win friends and influence people if you're one of the people saying that to the scribes and Pharisees, the people who are respected as the religious leaders of the day. And it, it reminds me of a story that I heard some years ago. Some of you guys know I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Dallas. I didn't grow up in the country. But there was a rancher, and he, was, he had acres and acres and acres of land that he was both growing and raising cattle on. 
And this DEA agent, Drug Enforcement um, Agency agent, came to his farm one day. And he said, uh, you know, I'm here to search your property. Because we've heard and we have some evidence to believe that you're actually raising crops that can be used uh, as, as drugs. And he said, uh, well, okay, you're welcome to use my look everywhere. And he goes, but I, that one field over there, don't go in that. So with that, the DEA agent pulled his badge out. He goes, you see this badge? This badge gives me the authority to go anywhere I want. I can go anywhere I want on this whole farm, and you can't stop me. This badge gives me that authority. To which the ranger's like, yes, sir. Put his head back down and kept doing his chores. And about 10 minutes goes by, and all of a sudden, there is a screaming from over that fence in that field. And just going on and on. And sure enough, that was his, that was his field of, of, of bulls. And there was a bull chasing the DEA agent, about to get close to you know, goring him. And the, you know, the farmer, the rancher, runs over to the fence and he goes, The badge! The badge! Show him your badge! <laughs> That's kind of what's getting God at here. The whole authority is the issue. It's the main point. It's the theme, not only of this passage, but as I mentioned, going through the whole of Mark. Now, throughout history... Not just in this passage, but this passage gets at something that's gone throughout history. And it's this, that those who try to trap people in true authority end up getting trapped. That, that any of us, any people throughout history who try to trap somebody <laughs> or something that has true authority ends up getting trapped themselves. So let, let's look at this. Because what we find is that no one actually has true authority except Jesus. And we'll talk about it not only here, but throughout all time and in our contemporary lives day in, day out. There's a difference between two words that often get that mixed up, that, that kind of get, that people think they're synonyms. We tend to think of them as one and the same. And those two words are power and authority. Right? If someone has power, power, then they're the authority. And if they have, they're, they're the authority, they have power. Right? But there's actually a difference in those. And what the Bible teaches is here's the difference. To have power is to have the ability to do something. Okay? To have authority is actually to have the right to do it. So it's either having the ability to play a drum loud... Or it's actually having the right to play the drum loud. Uh, maybe this is better. Um, your neighbor has a really good chainsaw. New chainsaw, still. Um, it's huge. It's powerful. It's, see, it has the power, right? It has the ability to cut down trees. But then he walks over into your yard and cuts down your tree. And you're like, what gives you the right? In other words, do you have the authority? Or dynamite. You know, dynamite's powerful, right? But imagine dynamite being used on a building that's not the person's building who blew it up. You see the difference? And so what we want to look at is quickly, we want to look at Jesus' power, Jesus' authority, and then 
we're going to look at what does true authority really look like. So power, when it comes to power, Jesus actually has the ability to do something. You know, he has the chainsaw. He has the dynamite. So throughout the book of Mark, even we've seen this, he has the power to teach. He had the power to teach in temples and synagogues and in the city, in the country, to teach the rich, the poor, uh, Jews and Gentiles. So he had this power, this ability to teach. He had the power and ability to heal. Uh, those who were deaf, dumb, blind, mute, uh, diseased, disfigured. He's healing everybody all the time, right? So he has the power over healing, over teaching. He has the power over nature and creation itself. Um, he has for example, the wind and the waves, you know, water and wine, um, fig trees, and fish and loaves. See, these are all things of creation and nature, and he has power over them. Um, spirits, the dark forces that we can't see, the authorities that are invisible to us, the demonic. He's shown it time and time again that he has power over this. He actually even has power over death. Remember the little girl? Jairus' daughter? He's like, hey honey, wake up. Holds her hand like he's waking her up from a nap. His little beloved daughter wakes her up from a nap and it's death itself. Um, or he, So little girls, grown men. Lazarus, a grown man who'd been dead. Enough days to be stinking. And he calls him back from the dead. He even has the power to forgive. He even has the power beyond death to forgive people so they're not eternally separated from God. You see that? So in all this and more that we could probably talk about, that Jesus has the ability to do things. Well, everybody knows that. But did you know that the religious leaders weren't attacking him for his power? Do you notice that? They weren't saying, hey, you can't heal people. You don't have the ability to heal people. Hey, you can't raise people from the dead. You, you don't have the power. No, he has us. What they're really questioning here is what? Authority. In other words, what right do you have to do that? In other words, it's not the chainsaw, the dynamite. Now we're talking more about the tree and whose tree it is and the building, whose building it is. Verse 28, if you look at that, the leaders come and they say, by what authority do you do this? Or who gave you the authority to do this? The question they're asking, what credentials do you have? What badge can you pull out that actually means something? What ordination process have you gone through? You know, these, these men who were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, um, the Sanhedrin, all these are, you know, they had gone through trials and tests and ordinations and getting certain credentials, right? They were, they were the here, they were the standard. And so they're coming to here and they're him and they're saying, what, what right do you have? Who, who made you the one who had the authority over these things? <laughs> and this is right where the trappers get trapped. They set a trap that they step right into, don't they? And what does Jesus say to him? He says, well, I'll ask you a question. Okay, so you see what he did? First of all, he just took the authority right back. They come to him and say, we're the authorities. You tell us. And he goes, well, actually, you answer a question for me. 
And then I'll answer you. <laughs> and then he says, okay, um, answer me. And then again, after he says it, he says, answer me again. Do you hear who's in control all of a sudden? Jesus. Isn't that ironic? The trappers end up getting trapped by the one who really has authority. And then the question he asks seems to us, it can seem a little bit out of left field. It can seem a little bit like, what? He says, John's baptism. And he's speaking back about a man named John the Baptist. If you flash back, if you were here when we talked in the early chapters of, of Mark, and especially if you go to John, you read about this really odd man who eats things like locusts and honey, which was fairly odd. And he was wearing camel skins, which was even odder at the time. And he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And what happens? People do. And they come out by the droves to get baptized by him. And the whole time, what was happening? The scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were always kind of their, their arms folded, looking down their nose, saying, you're not an elder. You can't do this. So Jesus asked him this simple question. He says, John's baptism, was it from man or was it from God? Now, something very interesting that happens here is that John, early on in his ministry, was asked this question. They come to him, the same religious leaders, maybe the exact same ones, but probably not. There's hundreds of them at this point. And they ask him this question. They say, who gave you the authority? Who are you? Same question. See? You know what the first thing he says is? I'm not the Christ. Who are you? Who gave you this authority? I'm not the Christ. <laughs> like, don't get confused. And he goes, they say, well, then who then? Because we got to go back and tell our bosses. Who, who gave you this authority to do this? And he says, well, listen, there's one coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to bend down and untie, which would have been the lowest act a servant could do. The lowest act a servant can do. He says, as powerful as my ministry is right now, and as much as people are coming to me and flocking around me and listening to my words, I'm not even able to get high enough to untie his sandals. He goes on to say things like, the reason I'm not is because the other one, this one coming, Messiah, Christ, he was before I was. He existed from all eternity. And he also has a higher place than me. He ranks above me. And he says, I have seen and I bear witness to what? That Jesus is that one. He's the Christ. He is the Son of God. You hear what John's saying? John is saying, my gift is a gift from God. But also, I'm... Not all that powerful. Jesus later says to him, to the, to the religious leaders, he says, you know, there's no greater man among men than John. And then John is saying something radically different than that. John is saying, actually, there is one coming who is from heaven, but he's also one of us. And I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. So religious leaders do something very unusual. They say, okay, huddle up. (laughs) Come here, guys. Let's huddle up on this one. And so it becomes not a holy huddle, but an unholy huddle. 
And they're like, okay, well, let's think about what our options are here. Because if we say that John's baptism was from heaven, well, then he'll say, well, why did you not believe it and follow him? But if we say it was from man, then they were worried because all the crowds believed he was a prophet, that it was from heaven. And so what they say is, and these are the, remember, these are the religious teachers of Israel. They say, we don't know. We can't tell you. Which really means this. We won't tell you. Because you trapped us. We look from authorities among men. We look from the true authority from God. But we can't tell you John's baptism, where it came from. One commentator who is not prone, this is back about 80 years ago, who I've never read this kind of language from a commentator until I saw this recently. He says, this answer is the, lame, the lamest of the lame answers ever given by religious leaders. <laughs> I was like, that's great. The lamest of the lame? Man, I should, we should take that word and make it more contemporary, right? Um, that's what's going on here. Now, it begs a question for us. What is authority, really? It's the right to do these things. But when we have right to do things, if we have both the ability and the right to do it, so think about your job. Some of you are in jobs where you actually have the ability to do something, but you're not given the right to do it. Others of us may be in a place where we have the ability to do something and we have the right to do it. And in all that, there's this weird mix-up, isn't there, of what true ability is and what true power is. Here's a key principle in this. All authority is derived authority. All authority in this world is derived authority. In other words, it doesn't start in and of itself. It comes out of it. It comes out of the source. You know, the word author means source. So the author of a book, for example, is the one from whom it came. He's the source. She's the source. And so you can't say, well, this, this character really should have done this. No, the author goes, no, this is what happens in the story that I wrote. You see that? In other words, the author is the origin, the creator. And all other authorities within the book, within the characters, within the movie, whatever it may be, it's derived authority. Well, in the same way, God is authority. He is the creator. He is the one who's put things all into place. He is the one who sustains all things by the power of his word alone. God is not like a juggler who's out there going like, okay, I got to keep all this stuff in order. Oh my gosh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Let's keep it up. No, he's like, I'm in control. Nothing happens apart from my will. Even the things that you as humans think is the worst of the worst the lamest of the lame that can happen. Even that is under my control. And yet, there's something else at play here. David Foster Wallace, in the quote we read earlier, as far as I know, Wallace was not a Christian. He was giving an address, a graduation address at Kenyon College. It It went so viral so quickly that he ends up putting a book out for it. It's called This is Water. And... Here's, this is fascinating what he says. He says, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice is 
The only choice we get, rather, is what to worship. To think of it in these terms, it's, there's no such thing as not worshiping or granting authority to something. That's, that's not the question. The question is, to what do we give the authority? To what or to whom do we worship? David Brooks, a New York Times writer and columnist and speaks on public radio quite a bit, um, he, has, he has a book called Bobos in Paradise. I love this. Bobos in Paradise. What a great name, right? And here's what he says. He says, you know, when it comes to spirituality and religion, we interviewed lots of people, and we met this lady. She's a 30-year-old nurse, and her name is Sheila. And when we asked her about religion and spirituality, she says, well, my religion is Sheilaism. They're like, Sheilaism? What's that? And she said, well, you know, it's something like love others, do good and do the best you can. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, something like that. Now, we might go, huh, but you know what? Isn't that where a lot of us live? We have this thing. We have this authority. We have this thing we think has power. And usually it starts right here. I determine what's right and wrong for me. You see that? That is so ingrained in our culture and in us as people that we don't even give it a second thought. We assume it's the baseline presumption about what the way life works. What is, what is your authority right now? I've been asking this question in preparation for today. Like, okay, what is it you actually give the authority in life to? Um, maybe it actually is your earthly boss or your employer. You know, whatever, yes, yes sir, yes ma'am, whatever you say, you, you run my life. You have the authority to tell me what to do, you have the right to do it and the power to do it. Whatever you want, I'm in. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's appearance. Uh, maybe it's the approval of other people or a person or two in particular. Um, those people, by the way, maybe either be dead or not even in your realm, but because they're out there, they may not be the sun that's always shining on you. They may actually be like the moon. We don't think of the moon much, but it affects tides. Um, it, it affects so many things. And we may be obsessed even with those kind of things or those kind of people that aren't even in our immediate, um, the foreground. It, it may even be religious traditions, just like these guys who come after Jesus and end up getting trapped. Here's the problem. All these things are about us. We, we make ourselves the authority. You see that? It's all about what's, what's in this for me. What do I like? What do I trust? What drives my life? It's everything else's responsibility to meet me and to revolve around me. And that's part of the problem of their thinking. There's a power in these things, but there's no authority. If you live for looks, guess what? Your looks will not always be there. Hate to break the news to you. If your authority is your boss, well, your boss may not always be there, and your boss may turn against you and trap you. 
Your boss may be religion, <laughs> religious tradition, or religious leader. And guess what? That's all good until he or she turns on you and hurts you. Which unfortunately may be some of your stories. You've been hurt or abused by a religious leader. You see? And so if you put your trust in these things and you give them all the authority, they will come back and get you. But then there's Jesus. And in whom we see true authority. Here's some of the things that the scriptures talk about with Jesus. Psalm 8, for example, says, He set the stars in place. Cosmos upon cosmos. Billions upon billions. He set those in place. It says elsewhere that the Lord is Lord over all. Over everything. That word, I, I looked it up, both in Hebrew and Greek. The word all, it means all. Everything. There's nothing left that's not under his authority. He has the power over it, and he also has the right over it. Revelation 21 says this, that all the creation, all history, all nations, all languages, everything is under his authority. We say in this great line earlier, is anyone worthy to open the seal? To open the scroll, and we go, what, is it? what does that mean? Here's what it means. That's, that seal, that scroll, is what brings all of history to culmination. To its rightful culmination. Where everything works back in unity, starting with our own relationship with God, with ourselves, with other people. Even the physical world, the creation we see, it all's restored because he's in charge of it. And he's Lord, or true authority, over it. In fact, he's over everything. He's over all rule, dominions. And you know how he did these things. You know why we know he is the authority? Because he had disarmed, he disarmed every other authority on the cross. And made a spectacle of these authorities. These authorities that trap us, he was trapped by in order to give us freedom. What well, that means. I no, have, no, I no longer have to look to my boss to make my life work for me. I, I no longer have to look at other people's approval to make life work for me. I, I don't have to look at success to make life work for me or to be what I think I'm meant to be. You know where I have to look? I look to Jesus and not just in general. I look to Jesus on a cross where what is supposed to be the largest trap of evil upon good ever becomes the greatest freedom for Jesus as well as for us. Jesus says something interesting in John 10. He says, I have the authority to lay down my life and to take it up again. You hear what he's saying? He has a choice. As the one who spoke all stars into existence, as the one who has all authority and always has, he has the authority to do what? To lay down his life and sacrifice and die for his people. And not only that, to raise us up again. How do you know you can be raised with him? It's through faith. Now what does that mean? It means you actually believe that's true for you. That's called the gospel. That's the good news. And the good news is made up, Martin Luther used to say, of personal pronouns. 
Do you believe it's of you? Have you ever come to terms with that? How about today? Can you believe this is actually for you? Can we believe it's for us? You know, N.T. Wright, um, who actually has such great ways with words. Here's what, here's what he said. It's in the front of the booklet as well. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane became human, has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself, hear that, the origin itself has walked right into our midst. And then look, at, he just puts this, he's like, okay, so if you want, if you think Christianity is something kind of, eh, he said, here's, here's the house of cards. It either means those things or it's a total sham and means nothing at all. And therefore we're able to go like, yeah, that's not really my thing. I'm not really into that. That's not my thing. See, that's, that's another way of saying it's a total sham. That's a total nonsense, a total sham. But he says most people, most of us, are unable to cope with saying either of those things. <laughs> Too threatening. To say this is the biggest authority in all the world and all history, that's not very tenable for most of us. On the other hand, to say like, yeah, that's nothing. It's a, it's a sham. It's nonsense. He says those of us who live in that place are condemned to live in the shallow world in between. Shallow lives, shallow world, are we living there right now? It's easy to default there. It's easy to get to that place. Here's the deal, if Jesus is Lord, then we have one answer to that, rightfully, and that's to bow down to him and say, what is your will? That's what Jesus did. He bowed down to the Father, he said, what's your will? That's, that's really, that's the option today. Um, and instead of living in the shallows in between. And if not, then here's what we have to do, okay? Because some of us may not be in a place to do that, actually. And so here's what you realize. And all of us can slip back into this mode, back and forth. You have to keep looking for a badge. It's not going to trap you. We have to keep looking for badges to show, like, hey, we, we, we can do this. And there's no badge. They can't be nailed to the cross and brought back from the dead again. Let me pray. Father, you're good. Your mercy endures. And your mercy and love have shown yourself most fully in the cross of Christ. And by the Spirit, we pray in his name. Amen.